0: Welcome to the NIHR Dementia Researcher podcast brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society, supporting early career dementia researchers across the world.
1: Hello and welcome to yet another episode of the Dementia Researcher podcast. I'm Dr. Prerna Sabnis, and I'm so excited to be here to host the show for the first time. One of the aims of Dementia Researcher is to encourage people to consider a career in dementia research, both inside and outside academia. To deliver our Dementia Research Careers Festival as part of National Careers Week, we're working with our amazing Alzheimer's Society, Alzheimer's Research UK, Race Against Dementia, Dementia's Platform UK, and the Dementia Research Institute. We have a whole range of activities planned for this week with live webinars, career blogs, Q&A sessions, and a whole bunch of other activities. We're hoping these activities will allow you to see how there really are opportunities for everyone and how dementia really does need more people like you to become involved. For more information, visit the dementiaresearcheranihracuk slash careers. In today's show, I'm joined by three dementia MSc students from University College London. Hello and welcome to Aiko Robert, Viva Zorombeit, and last but not the least, Morgan Daniel, who I'm sure many of you already know from her monthly blogs on our website. We'll discuss their career paths, what they're getting from this course, and sharing what it could be like for you should you follow this path. Completing an MSc can prepare you for further study at a PhD level, but for someone who's not from a dementia background, it could also help you acquire the advanced subject knowledge, and it could help everyone try their hand at getting extended independent research during their dissertation. So let's get started by getting to know our panelists. Viva, can you tell us a bit about yourself?
2: Uh, hello, my name is Viva. I did my undergraduate degree in psychology also at UCL. Um, I was born in Lithuania but I moved here when I was very young so I consider myself a Londoner um, I think that's about it. Okay
1: wonderful. Morgan do you want to go next?
3: Yeah um, I'm from Loch Lomond and I moved to London this year to study at UCL. Um, I grew up sort of just outside of Glasgow and went to the University of Glasgow to study psychology and neuroscience um, and now obviously I've ended up here doing the Dementia MSc. Okay, and
1: Eiko?
0: Hiya, um, I'm French and Japanese, um, I grew up in France and I moved to the UK about four years ago. Um, I did my undergrad in neuroscience at King's College London and I'm now with Viva and Morgan at UCL.
1: Wonderful. So how did you all get into it? What inspired you to do an MSc? Aiko let's start with you.
0: I started doing neuroscience and I didn't really know which area of neuroscience I was interested in and then I randomly just um, started volunteering at St. Thomas's Hospital in London in the um, aging ward and that's when I started getting a taste of what dementia was like Um, and then my classes um, started getting more interesting, the ones on dementia, and I decided, why not just keep going with it? Okay,
1: that's, what about Morgan and Viwa? Did you guys have similar reasons or did you have different reasons? I
3: was interested in neuroscience. Like even from when I was in school, we did biology and that was like my favorite part of biology. Um, And I kind of always had an interest in Alzheimer's specifically. But then I went to university and I obviously did psychology and neuroscience and both of those courses had quite a lot of um, kind of modules and classes on dementia um, and neurodegenerative disease and I just realised that that was kind of like the topic that I enjoyed the most. I had the most interest in it um, but I also my, I have a lot of family history of dementia as well so I think that's what kind of sparked my interest from a young age and then it just continued with what I was studying. And Viva, what about you?
2: Um, During my undergrad, we didn't really get to do much on neurodegenerative diseases, but we did have a lot of memory modules, or I willingly chose memory modules, and um, they'd only give us kind of a flavor of dementia or neurodegeneration, and I found that to be something really interesting, so to find a program that then had neuroscience and dementia combined, that's kind of what made me pick this.
1: So, it sounds like at least, Eiko and Morgan, you had some experience with dementia directly, and by the way you were more interested in the memory part of it um so what factors did you consider when you were choosing this msc or when you chose to do um a master's what apart from the experience that you had what were the other factors that sort of went through your mind in deciding
3: um so i had looked at a few different masters i applied to a few different courses um some of them psychology based and then one was kind of neuropsychology um, and then obviously this master's at UCL. This was always my top choice like I identified it when I was in like my first or my second year of my undergrad as the course I wanted to do. Um, I just kind of thought it might be out of reach because of London being so expensive um, mm-hmm. but I liked when I was actually making my choice of where to apply a lot of it was about checking for the actual modules on the course and to make sure it was the kind of content that I actually wanted to learn about. Um, I spent quite a lot of time going through the actual kind of module catalogue at UCL and making sure it was the type of content that I was interested in mm-hmm. um, and then I suppose also a big part of the decision was the reputation that UCL have for neuroscience, um, it's like world renowned, it's Queen Square, is so iconic and I think
1: the opportunity to study there was a big factor in like why I chose this course. And ICO and Vaiba, did you have similar reasons for um, choosing to do a master's at this point? Or did you have any other factors that you consider?
2: I think the reputation of UCL was a huge thing for me. Because um, at undergrad, their psychology program is very well renowned. And then Queen Square is kind of the hub of dementia in the world. And they have the researchers that are pioneering our knowledge in dementia. So to be taught by people that are at the forefront of the field was a huge factor in picking it.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it's about the same for me. Um, I didn't really apply anywhere else but UCL. I applied to another one of their programs um, at Queen Square as well, but um, definitely the prestige around UCL and like the leading research. And um, also I really wanted to stay in London.
1: That's a good reason. Yeah. Uh, Geography is so important. You don't really think about that too much sometimes. Um, So can you... Kind of talk us through the application process of the MSc program at UCL. How did you get about to applying, what happened thereon? the costs, any tips for anyone applying um, for a master's this year? Um, Aiko, let's start
0: with you. The application process will differ from university to university and sometimes there are slight differences within programs as well. Um, but for the MSc in dementia anyway, um, you have to write a personal statement, which I think is about one word, uh, one word page, um, and basically stating why you want to do dementia, why you want to study it, um, why UCL, um, what makes you the perfect candidate. Um, it's pretty similar to your undergrad's um, UCAS um, application. Um, and then you have to provide two references, I believe. And... Um, transcripts and academic transcripts from your undergrad.
1: And the references that you have are they generally both supposed to be academic references from your undergrad or if you have prior experience in dementia like you did ICO can one of your referees also be from your previous workplace?
0: Yes I think the UCL guidelines are that at least one of our uh, references are academic from academic background. Um, so I had one uh, of my professors at King's write my first reference and then the second one was from um, my manager at uh, St Thomas's so and that's I think that's definitely a good thing to do if you can provide two different um, viewpoints.
1: Mm-hmm. And um, Morgan you're from Scotland right so did you have any Were there any differences in the application process that you saw between UCL and your previous experience at Glasgow?
3: Um, The actual application process, I suppose, because in the UK, when you first apply to university for undergrads, you apply through UCAS. Mm -hmm. And then it is a little bit strange going from that, which is like a general kind of form to individual applications. Um, But yeah, there was one major difference for me is that um, the Scottish government Will only fund will only give me a loan for a master's degree if I can't do the course in Scotland. So I have to prove that I can't do the course in Scotland. So um, I had to make sure that UCL the degree fit those requirements that I couldn't get it anywhere in my in Scotland and that it was unique. So it was just for me it was like that extra layer of just double checking that I could actually get the loan to do the course. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, there wasn't any major differences I think in the applications. The actual application process was quite similar to the ones I apply for in Scotland Um, but yeah it was just that kind of added layer of uncertainty at first but it ended up being fine obviously.
1: Yeah so I guess that's something to keep in mind just kind of cross-check with the local regulations as well to make sure you meet the criteria and I guess if we have any listeners from overseas maybe also have a look at maybe the English language requirements and the grading requirements that might differ from your home country to the UK. So Vaiva, obviously this year has been very different, but can you tell us a bit about the course and what it covers and how that experience has been different this year?
2: Um, So the core modules cover both practical and clinical neuroscience of dementia. So you get a look at the biology and the underlying neurodegenerative processes. Um, And now we're doing a module that's much more practical, looking at how you can diagnose dementia in people, using clinical interviews, um, imaging. There's a lot on biomarkers because that's a huge field right now. Um, You also have to do statistics, which I think a lot of people don't tend to like. Um, But statistics is not too bad. I think that's like the one thing that people need to um, be wary of if you're not too confident in. But it's not as scary as it's made out to be. Um, And then we also get to do optional modules. So... Different people are doing very different things. I think Morgan is doing um, an imaging module, which is very different to... I'm doing neuroscience and mental health, so the imaging module is arguably scarier. Um, But the main difference has been having to do it all from home. Um, So for me at university, having my friends was kind of like the uh, safety net. If you didn't understand something in a lecture, you could immediately turn to someone and be like, do you know what's happening and they'd be like no and it'd be comforting whereas now you don't really get to have that experience but i think instead our course has done a very good job of making group chats coming together we try to arrange zoom meetings for like revision sessions and whatnot um so we've tried to replace the in-person experience online and i think we've done quite well
1: um Echo, you mentioned that you applied for more than one program at ucl so Could you maybe tell me a little bit about, could you tell us a bit about how these courses differ and why you went for the one you went for?
0: Um, So I, the other program I applied to was the dual masters in brain and mind sciences. So it's a two year masters uh, with the first year at UCL and the second year um, in France. Um, in Paris and it's more selective I actually didn't get an offer for that program um, <laughs> so that's why I'm doing the MSc in dementia but there is a lot of overlap so what the dual masters um, like the way in which the dual masters differed um, from the dementia MSc is that you get to choose most of your modules basically um, but my plan was initially to choose a lot of the dementia modules, the the modules I'm actually doing now. So there's not that big of a difference apart from the fact that it's two years and you do one year in London and one year in Paris.
1: All right. The international element I'm sure might be an interesting experience for a lot of people. What about um, you, Morgan? Did you, um, do you have any idea how the course you're doing differs from something maybe your peers are doing? dementia related or with a background in psychology or from a neuroscience perspective?
3: Yeah, I do have a lot of friends who chose to go on to do master's this year um, or to go straight into PhD and I think our master's degree, I think think the way that they've decided to teach it online, they've got a very good method of teaching. Um, I I think I've heard other universities have maybe struggled to get all of their content online and to know how to deliver the lectures. I think our course seems to have quite a good method of teaching. Um, and there was also in first semester, we had the opportunity to go to journal clubs, which were in person as well, which was great. Like I know that myself and Aiko went to quite a few of them um, and they were really useful. We got to meet other people, got to meet some of the PhD students. Um, this was obviously before tier four, but that was really helpful to have to have that in place. Um, but I think in terms of the actual course and how it's different, it's so specific to what i want to study but at the same time you can choose modules that also fit in with other areas of neuroscience so for example like the mental health neuroscience of mental health module is very useful for somebody who's maybe got that interest in mental health and wants to study it alongside dementia Um, or for myself the physical kind of sciences imaging module that's really useful it can be applied in the future Um, so I think it's like the course content being so tailored to your interests but also having the opportunity to learn outside of that as
1: well So would you say that is something important to consider when you're applying to a master's to ensure that the modules that are available to you cater to exactly what you would like to do in the future?
3: Yeah, I think so. I think you have to be interested in what you're studying and um, I also think it makes it so much easier to study when it's something that you're interested in. Like it doesn't necessarily feel like a chore to sit and study something that you're really passionate about so I think that is really important but also just In terms of what you want to do in the future like you want to make sure that you've got the opportunity to study the modules that might help you get into say a PhD or if you want to study something that gives you the practical experience that you need or the background that you need, um, I think it's really important to make sure that you choose your course for the right reasons and you get the right kind of content from
1: it that you were hoping for. Absolutely all great points. What advice would you give to anyone who's thinking of doing an MSc?
2: I think in terms of like the application for a master's, what helped me the most is that at least in the UK, I think most universities have like a careers advice department. Mm -hmm. Um, So during the application process, I was really uncomfortable with my CV. I hated everything about my personal statement. So I arranged a series of meetings with different careers advisors because they kind of know how to tailor a CV and a personal statement specifically to what you want to apply and they point you towards the right directions. So I remember um, the woman that I saw, she gave me a booklet that I still use to this day of like keywords to use in applications and CVs. And I think that was definitely what pushed me into getting the place on this master's program by tailoring it to both myself as a person, but then also to fit the needs of the master's program itself. I think that would be the biggest piece of advice if you feel unsure there are places to get assistance with these things.
1: And Aiko, what about you? What um, would you say to someone starting, thinking of starting an MSc?
0: Um, so definitely um, the personal statement, I think, is probably the most important component. Um, you can have an amazing personal statement, and if your grades are not so good, you can still make an impression. So that's your opportunity to shine. Um, get a lot of people to read your personal statement, get a lot of insight um I think that's the most important thing definitely
3: and
1: Morgan do you have anything to add to that
3: yeah I think um one of the sort of things I was almost scared to do at first but I just went for it and it's something that was really valuable was to actually get in contact with the course before I even applied so I was a bit eager and I got in contact with them about two years before I applied because I knew what I wanted to do um but I think getting in contact with them, I kind of asked you know what background do people usually have before they start this degree, um, what was useful experience, work experience, um, kind of research experience, and what's the content of the course like, just to make sure that it was exactly what I wanted to do. Um, but I also asked about, you know, scholarship opportunities, funding opportunities, um, kind of general information about UCL. Uh, so yeah, if you are looking at a master's, I think it is a good idea to get in touch with the staff because that run the course because it's also a good opportunity to kind of get to know them and see how you would fit in and how you would work with them. Um, But other than that, I think another piece of advice is a master's can be quite expensive. So Mm -hmm. you really need to weigh up whether or not it's going to give you what you want out of it at the end. Like I think this master's that we're doing is well worth it. Um, but if you are in a situation where you're debating whether or not you can afford it or if you can afford it but you're weighing up whether or not it's worth it you really need to look into what you can get out of it as opposed to maybe working instead or going straight into PhD it's kind of what you want to get out of the experience but it's
1: worth considering the cost of doing a master's. That's at the application stage Um, but some of our listeners might have already gotten their places for an NSE so what tips do you have for them on how to survive? Is there anything you would do differently? What would you do exactly the same? Um, how would you go about doing this MSc? Laiva, do you want to go?
2: I think one piece of advice that I absolutely hated during undergrad, and I think most students can agree with this, is about being told to be proactive. So starting your assignments when they're set and getting everything done before deadlines. But I've been trying to do a little bit of that during my master's, so I don't complete my assignments the second they're set, but I do chunks like readings or like trying to do um, exam notes. And that's really helpful because I used to get to the end point of a module and suddenly I had like a week or so to do this massive essay or revise for an exam and I'd get so stressed. But now there's still chunks left during that week to do, but it feels more calm, it feels more peaceful. I feel like I can take in the knowledge and actually benefit instead of just seeing it as something that I have to do just to get a grade or an exam so I think try and be proactive in your own ways to get these things done.
1: Morgan what about you? Um, I
3: think a master's is only a year long so try your best to enjoy it as you're doing it Um, it can be quite easy to kind of get lost in the fact that you're studying all the time and it is quite hard work but I think just try to enjoy it especially if you're considering coming to Queen Square because Although we were online this year, it's such an iconic place to study um, and it is really important to try and make the most of it. But I think one of the pieces of advice I was given before I started, and it has been quite helpful, like I haven't always stuck to it, but it has been quite helpful, was to try and treat it like a nine to five. So even if you have lectures that are in the middle of the day, you know, if you start your working day at about nine o'clock and you finish at about five, it kind of gives you enough time to get most of your work done and it means that you don't sit at your desk all evening or all night on top of that um and naturally being at university that doesn't always work but it is a good kind of thing to try and do from the start of the year um but other than as well on top of that I think keeping up with lecture notes as much as you can at the time um, I know that I try to keep up with them each week to make sure that I don't really have too much to go back to like, at the end of the module before an exam and that kind of saves me a lot of time and actually it takes a lot of the stress out of it if you just try to do all the pre-readings and kind of keep up with the with the um, actual lecture notes as you go along, because there is a lot of work in a master's, so it is worth just trying to do what you can at the start rather than leaving it all to the last minute.
1: And Echo, do you have anything to add to that?
3: Uh,
0: yeah, I definitely agree with what Viva and Morgan said. Um, one last thing is, um, I think, get in touch with um, the researchers in university, get in touch with your professors. Um, I, I feel like now that we're a master's student, they give you a little bit more credit um, and ask questions. Um, don't hesitate to reach out. Um, get on board with extra projects if you have time for it. Um, yeah, professors are actually interested in your input and um, are really happy to help you.
3: Sorry, I've just got something to add to that. though. Just thought. Yeah, go on. I was just also, it's a really good idea to kind of identify and you will will learn through lectures what kind of researchers you feel like you would get along with or whose work you're interested in but it's a really good idea at the start of the year to start looking for supervisors for your dissertation. Um, I actually found mine really early and quite quickly and it's been really good to get as much work done as I can in the first semester and like coming into second semester so I don't have as much to worry about in summer. Um, but also gives you a really good opportunity to kind of build up a relationship with different supervisors um, to maybe join a lab, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I would just say maybe think about your dissertation from quite an early stage um, because it takes quite a lot of the stress out of starting second semester
1: as well. Okay, so you've all been in this master's for a while now. Do you have, can you tell us a little bit about what you think you will be doing next? Just any ideas that you might have? Who wants to go
3: first? I'll leave the door open. Okay, Morgan. Uh, So I actually applied for the first time this year in November for the doctorate in clinical psychology. Um, I had kind of been debating it for years at uni um, and I have an interest in research but I also have the clinical interest. And I wanted to choose one or the other but I realised like it's very much possible to do both. So I've applied for the doctorate, Um, it does usually take quite a few applications to get in, um, quite a few years, so I can imagine this will be the first year of many applications, but I thought it was worth kind of chucking my name in there and seeing what happens, Um, even if I get interview experience, that'd be great. Uh, And then after that, I'm hoping to, once I've completed the doctorate, do um, the sort of post doctorate qualification in neuropsychology and go into that field, but I would quite like to maintain a career in dementia research alongside that as well.
1: That sounds great. Good luck with the applications. I'm sure um, you'll go far with it. I uh, what about you?
2: Um, I'm kind of on the same pathway as Morgan, just a little bit delayed. So um, I've been sending out applications to multiple universities for research assistant positions to give myself more patient-facing experience. So um, just today I sent off an application um, for a dementia study, actually. So hopefully that works out. Um, and yeah, after like a year or two of building up additional experience, I want to apply for a clinical doctor as well. Because um, as much as I enjoy research, I do also have the desire to have more patient-facing and clinical experience as well. So I think kind of a similar route, but just a little bit delayed.
0: Okay,
1: good luck with all the Declinpsci applications that you have going. And Ico, finally, what about you? What are your plans?
0: I decided that I didn't really want to be in a clinic. Um, I think my experience at St. Thomas's have taught me that I'm, I'm a bit too emotional to be with, um, patients. Um, but I definitely want to stay in the dementia research field. Um, so I'm currently applying for a couple of PhDs, um, in London and also in other countries in Europe. Um, so in a wet lab, um, and I'd really like to stay in academic research. That would really be the dream.
1: That sounds amazing. Well, I wish all of you all the best with all these wonderful plants you have. But I think we're running out of time for today. So just quickly to summarize, um, the takeaway would be for anyone considering to, uh, applying for a master's, do your research and then show the program that you're looking at basically caters to whatever your future plans are, make sure all the modules you want are available. On the practical side of it, obviously look at the kind of funding opportunities the universities have to offer and any other sort of research specific um, information that you might need or resources that you might need, journal clubs, I don't know, EEG machines, depending on what your interest is. And at your master's, just be proactive start early be involved get all the health you need and most of all just enjoy it right all right i think with that we'll have to wrap up today's session thank you so much for your time morgan daniel viva saran and ike robert for everyone listening take a look at our website dementia careers we have a lot of resources for you out there You'll find an article I wrote on how people from different fields can bring together their talents to dementia research. You'll also find details of all the MSC courses available. Um, and you'll also find a series of blogs from Morgan and a whole bunch of others about their work. This week, we also have a whole bunch of other live webinars. We have researchers from different fields discussing their careers and so much more. So just come along and see how we can help you. We'll have profiles of all of today's panellists on the websites, including the details of their Twitter accounts. If you have anything to add to this topic, please do drop us a tweet using the hashtag ECRDementia and hashtag NCW2021. Or just leave a comment to this post. Thank you for listening. Bye.
0: Hi, this is Adam Smith. I'm just jumping on the end of this podcast to let you know about a brand new section we've added to our website, If you click on the find tab at the top and look for higher education courses, we've collated a directory of all the higher education, dementia and neuroscience courses that we've found across the UK. There you'll find over 75 courses, which are perfect for anybody who's looking to continue their education in dementia. Thank you. Brought to you by dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society. Supporting early career dementia researchers across the world